You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Season 2 of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you find something interesting. Or maybe something spooky. Or maybe something just... Mysterious. This is Terry from Texas with another episode of Terry's Mysterious Moments. And in continuing with the storyline of haunted hotels, I want to tell you about a hotel here in San Antonio called the Gunter. I believe it's actually called the Sheraton Gunter, but the Gunter is how everybody around here knows it. I once stayed at the Gunter when I was a high school student. We had a business education meeting down here in San Antonio in a contest. I was in the contest, but I was an alternate, so I didn't have to go. But I stayed in the Gunter and didn't know anything about its history at the time. My story from there is simply that it was a nice place to stay. Except that my bedroom and my roommate's bedroom was backing the elevator shaft so we heard the elevators moving and creaking and bumping all night long and I told my roommate I said you know what would really be weird is if a cable broke and came ripping through this wall between our beds poor Mike never slept the rest of the night I snoozed away I didn't think anything about it but poor Mike didn't get to sleep but we stayed at the Gunder and it was a nice place to stay I can't argue the amenities, I can't argue the way they treated us. I remember the Gunner well. But the history of the Gunner is that it's right downtown in San Antonio. It's 12 stories tall. It's got tan brick and a flair of elegance that can only be found in old properties. The Sheraton Gunner has all this in spades. It's a blend of old and new, modern amenities and timeless elegance. It's got trendy cuisine at its restaurant and bar, 414. The Gunner is a one-of-a-kind place because since the 1830s it has almost always been a hotel, although under different managements and different names, and largely because it earned extreme notoriety in 1965 through no fault of its own. In 1965, San Antonio's most mysterious and brutal murder 
took place inside one of the Sheraton Gunner's guest rooms. Since then, it seems like the residual energy of that terrible night plays over and over again, leaving a paranormal imprint on the Sheraton Gunner that it certainly never asked for. Since 1837, that's one year after the fall of the Alamo, there has been a hotel on the property where the Sheraton Gunner stands. It went by the name the Settlement Inn because San Antonio was on the frontier of Texas. It could also be called the Frontier Inn, but the message was the same. The owners were unimaginative and just called it the Settlement Inn. The inn was situated at the corner of what was then referred to as El Paso and El Rincon Streets. As one author wrote, the inn had the best location in the center of a bustling town that sprawled comfortably along the banks of the winding San Antonio River. When the Mexican cavalry came into town and tried to recapture the city of San Antonio in 1842, they were met with no luck. The Republic of Texas stood strong and the frontier had been established and its people were sturdy and resilient. So was the settlement inn. It survived both attempts on behalf of the Mexicans to reclaim what they had lost less than a decade earlier at the Battle of the Alamo. The settlement inn would be lost though when new ownership emerged. For $500, the settlement or Frontier Inn was purchased and demolished in 1851. Three brothers, Irish immigrants, William, John, and James Vance, had visions for the settlement inn. Times were changing and they wanted to be a part of that progress. The corner where the inn sat had changed to Houston and St. Mary Street, and that was the smallest of the progress being seen in San Antonio. The Vance brothers erected a two-story building in place of the inn and subsequently rented it out to the U.S. Army for the next decade. During that period, the property operated as the local headquarters for the Army. When the Civil War erupted, brothers fought against brothers. They fought against their, bro their fathers, and they fought against their sons. Homes were raised across the country. Cities like New Orleans were occupied by Union troops, although the citizens of the Crescent City sided with the gray-uniformed Confederates. Texas had seceded from the United States. Sam Houston, being the governor of Texas at the time, resigned because he chose not to secede. Like many other states, Texas joined the Confederates. It was not long before the Confederates swooped in. By the time the Civil War had ended, the property owned in theory by the Vance family had traded hands again. This time it was the federal troops who occupied the city and who also used the building. They did so until 1872 when the property was finally given back to the Vance family. You have to wonder if they were excited or just passe because the enthusiasm for running a hotel had gone away. Even so, the building was soon reopened as the Vance House, or Vance Hotel, and thanks to perfect timing, the first railroad tracks were laid down in 1877, and the hostelry was a success. For a nickel, guests could hop into a carriage at the train depot and ride to the Vance House. And for a whopping $2 a day, which was more than many people's wages at the time, guests could stay the night. It was luxury at its finest. 1886 saw a new name. The property continued to be owned by the Vance family, but two German immigrants had a new vision and they took over management of the property. Ludwig Monkey and Lesher Trexter were a business team concocted in heaven. Monkey was conscious of that old world allure when it came to managing successful hotels, and prior to managing a hotel, Monkey had managed the Mission Garden. Trexler, on the other hand, had a resume of being an excellent hotelier and was more than capable of convincing local cattlemen and businessmen to stay at the new Monkey Hotel. 
One contemporary newspaper claimed that the hotel, quote, has no superior in the state, unquote, and mentioned its airy rooms and extravagant modern amenities. The Gunner Hotel came into being by the turn of the 20th century. The frontier was no longer a frontier. San Antonio was finally hitting its stride, both with the railroad coming in and with tourism becoming popular. In the early 1900s, a group of investors came together to form the San Antonio Hotel Company. There were 13 men in total, including rancher Jot Gunter, whose name would later be given to the hotel which stands at the corner of Houston and St. Mary's streets today. The Vance family finally relinquished ownership in 1907 when the newly formed San Antonio Hotel Company bought it. Mrs. Mary Vance Winslow was paid $190,000, which was a very handsome figure back in the day and could probably mount to millions in today's currency. The investors had a plan to tear the Monkey Hotel down and replace it with a palatial structure that would meet the demands of the state's most progressive city, and they accomplished it. Unfortunately, rancher Jot Gunter would never live to see the day when his dream became a reality. He died shortly after the deal was signed, but his co-investors decided to name the hotel in his honor. When the property was completed in 1909, it was a gorgeous juxtaposition of opulence and new age amenities. Eight stories tall and 301 rooms in total, the Gunner Hotel blended steel, concrete, and tan brick to create a hotel that was one of the finest in the country. It had been designed by the St. Louis architectural firm of Morin, Russell, and Gordon, and then built by the Westlake Construction Company. Morin, Russell, and Gordon were also responsible for building the Galvez Hotel in Galveston and the Adolphus Hotel in Dallas. By that day's definition, the Gunner Hotel was the skyscraper and by far the tallest building in San Antonio. Not to be outdone, even in a race with itself. A ninth floor was added to the hotel in 1917. The record for the tallest building in San Antonio once again was awarded to the Gunter. In 1924, the Baker Hotel Company purchased the property and in 1926, another three stories were added. The architect, Herbert Green, topped it off with a new annex that they nicknamed the Gunter Roof. Thanks to its position adjacent to the Majestic Theater in downtown San Antonio, a number of celebrities would find themselves staying at the Gunner throughout the 20th century. Cowboy star Tom Mix, star Mae West, philanthropist Will Rogers, and President Harry S. Truman all call the hotel home at the time. But one name that sticks out among the rest is John Wayne. John Wayne stayed at the Gunner during the filming of the movie The Alamo. In 1979, the Gunner Hotel had changed hands again. It was sold to Joseph Siderly, and a $20 million restoration was undertaken. Ten years later, the Gunner found a new home with the Sheraton Hotel chain. A back-and-forth volley occurred after this in which the Gunner went under various new ownerships for the next ten years. In 1999, after an $8 million renovation, it once more became a member of the Sheraton family and remains so today. Guests at the Sheraton Gunner can enjoy amenities such as the fitness center, the new restaurant, the bar, and the club lounge. Add to that is the fact that the Sheraton Gunner is extremely centrally located, making it a quick and painless walk to many of San Antonio's tourist hotspots. Pride exudes out of this 20th century hotel, which so enraptures all of its guests. As the hotel's website boasts, the Sheraton Gunner preserves 1900's grace 
infusing it with modern amenities to create a special atmosphere where past meets present. Just remember though, while the Sheraton Gunner was one of the most stayed-in hotels in San Antonio, the 1960s brought a different sort of notoriety to the hotel, the gruesome kind, as well as the ghosts who still haunt this historic hotel. Like many haunted locations in San Antonio, people staying at the Sheraton Gunner have seen the spirits of the fallen Alamo defenders. There have been reported dips in temperature, the kind where your hair stands up on end and a chill whispers down your spine. Others have experienced the sensation of being watched, of glancing over your shoulder with the expectation that someone is there, but they never are. Your feet skid to a halt, and this time, you turn your body completely. A nervous standoff between you and the unknown. With a deep breath, you assure yourself that nothing is there. You turn on the balls of your feet in the direction you first started. One step, two steps, then that feeling begins anew. Eyes are watching you, following your form, perhaps even trailing along in your wake. Sometimes the sensation dissipates and in others it persists for a much longer stretch. There are normal paranormal phenomena experienced at the Sheraton Gunner, but surprise, surprise, the hotel spirits inevitably have more up their sleeve to make your stay a most memorable one. Two flappers. If you don't know what a flapper is, Google it. A flapper is a girl dancer from the 20s. There are two flappers that are supposed to be in the Sheraton Gunner, or rather, they're believed to be flappers from the 1920s. Others suggest they were prostitutes of the same period. The first spirit, who has been given the name Ingrid, is often seen wearing a long white dress while she ambles along the upper floors of the hotel. The second is nicknamed Peggy, and for the record, the two women do not get along. Although the women are said to haunt opposing sections of the hotel, guests have reported hearing them heatedly argue. Is it a matter of ghostly territory, or perhaps the womanly specters knew each other in life, and their squabbles have continued to the afterlife? Whatever the case may be, which has kept them here on the earthly plane, it's plain to see their fighting causes a lot of the paranormal activity in the gunner. Guests have taken photos with their ghostly forms caught on film, as though they too want to be part of the fun. There have been the sounds and evidence of furniture being moved in guest rooms, as well as in the communal areas of the hotel when no one is around. In a 1994 article, a woman who was in accounting at the hotel had hotel guests tell her that they saw ghosts when she worked at the front desk, but she thought they were just making up stories to avoid paying their bill, until she saw one herself. I saw something that crossed from one side to the other side. I turned and looked, and somebody crossed through the wall, and through yet another wall. She had on a long white dress, no doubt the ghost none other than Ingrid herself. And as long as she didn't find herself sandwiched in the middle of a ghostly argument, she probably didn't have too much to worry about. There is the spirit of an artist in room 414. One of the most famous celebrities to stay at the Sheraton Gunner was the blues artist Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson's talent scout, H.C. Spire, had arranged for a recording session to be held at the hotel in November of 1936 in room 414. In a strange twist of fate, it would be only one of two recording sessions that Robert Johnson would ever have. Robert Johnson was one of the most important and influential blues musicians of his day. He was so good that some people thought that Johnson had made a bargain with the devil at a crossroads to earn all the success that he had amassed in such a short period of time. But with all strokes of good luck, Johnson's luck did not last forever. 
1938 at the age of 27. There's that 27 club again. Johnson was found dead near Greenwood, Mississippi. The cause of his death was unknown then and is still up for speculation today. Some people believe that Johnson had been poisoned by the jealous husband of a woman he had flirted with at a country dance club he'd played in for some weeks. As the story goes, fellow blues musician Sonny Boy Williamson was with Johnson that night. When the woman who had caught Johnson's eye gave him a bottle of whiskey, Williamson moved to take it out of his hand. Williamson told Johnson, don't ever drink out of a bottle you didn't see opened. And Johnson took the bottle back and said, don't ever knock a bottle out of my hand. He tossed the whiskey back and drank it. He accepted another from the woman. By the following morning, Johnson's body was racked with pain. He died three days later, and the cause of that mystery has never been figured out. The only suggestion has been poison, but even the type of poison used is lost to history. At the Sheraton Gunner Hotel, it is said that Johnson's spirit still lingers in room 414, where he once held his first recording session. In 2009, John Mellencamp arrived at the Gunner to record a new album. He had felt drawn to the hotel, Mellencamp once said, and room 414 in particular. Today, the new Sheraton Gunner's bar is honored with the name Room 414 in reference to the room that Johnson used. As for the ghost of Robert Johnson himself, if he is to be found at the Sheraton Gunner, it would be surely in this room. Now, a little aside for Robert Johnson, I had read somewhere that when Robert Johnson started playing, he was a mediocre, at best, guitar player. That he disappeared for a short time, but when he came back into public view, he was an excellent, sometimes masterful, guitar player of the D Mississippi Delta Blues. When asked what happened, it was reported that he said he had sold his soul to the devil in order to be able to play the guitar better. Also, in the movie, O oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, the young black man who accompanies the Soggy Bottom Boys on guitar is based on Robert Johnson because he says he met the devil at a crossroads and sold his soul to learn how to play the guitar. So that's just an interesting aside. There is a haunted room. It is room 636 and a brutal murder occurred in that room. In February of 1965, San Antonio's largest unsolved mystery would take place at the Gunner Hotel. Albert Knox checked in on February 6th. He was a blonde man, said to be quite handsome. A charmer, really. According to some, Knox was coming off a drinking binge. According to others, Knox was still in the thick of that partying run, content to thrive on the chaos until he sobered up and went back home to his parents' house. For two days, guests of the Gunner saw Albert Knox come and go with the tall woman. The inquisitive gazes that followed the couple labeled the woman as a call girl, a prostitute, though no one will ever know for certain that she was. And so the party raged on. But on February 8th, one of the hotel's housekeepers was bringing some items to Knox's hotel room, 636. Maria Luisa Guerra noted that the Do Not Disturb sign was on the door but paid it no attention. Most people tended to forget to take it down even when they'd already checked out of the hotel. Guerra pushed open the door only to stop dead in her tracks. Standing at the foot of the bed, Albert Knox stood with the bloody bundle in his arms. Blood spattered every inch of the guest room that needed no explanation. In the face of Guerra's horrified expression, Knox lifted one finger to his mouth and said, Shh. A housekeeper's mouth parted and a scream, and Knox used that moment to dash past her and out of the room. It took 40 minutes for Maria Luisa Guerra's report to make it to management. By that time, Albert Knox had disappeared. The evidence remaining in room 636 was clear. Somebody had died. 
brutally. In a 1976 interview about the crime, Detective Walter Corky Dennis, who passed away in 2011, commented that it was the bloodiest place I had ever seen up till then. The bathroom was especially bad and just sticky with blood all over the place. We, being he and the other detectives, noticed the bathtub had a red ring around it like it had been drained of blood. The San Antonio police suspected dismemberment and one of the witnesses only pushed this idea. The day before the murder, Knox had visited the local Sears department store in search of a meat grinder. When the Sears employee informed him that they didn't have the larger size that he wanted, the employee offered to order one from the warehouse. For Knox, however, that would take much too long and he stormed off in a huff. Little evidence was found inside the room. A lipstick smeared cigarette, brown paper bags, luggage from the San Antonio Trunk and Gift Company. The purchase of the suitcase had been made by a check from John J. McCarthy, who happened to be the stepfather of 37-year-old Walter Emmerich, who had disappeared on one of his drinking bents. Police scoured the city for the woman's body because they were sure that someone had been murdered. They checked construction sites and even sections of streets where cement was being laid down. On February 9th, the blonde man walked into the St. Anthony Hotel, just one block away from the gunner. He came with no luggage, and when he requested to book a room, he made it known that he wanted room 636. That particular room was not available, and after some arguing, he settled for room 536. He checked in under the name Roger Ashley, but the man had aroused the suspicions of the front desk attendants, and after tipping the San Antonio police that the murderer might have just checked into their hotel, the detectives rushed over. They hurried up to room 536. Banging on the door, the police tried to apprehend Walter Emmerich for the crimes, but as they struggled to open the door, they heard the single, hollow sound of a gunshot. Walter Emmerich had killed himself and had taken whatever information he had with him to the grave. In the 50 years that have passed since those fateful nights, the woman's identity has never been discovered and no missing reports have ever surfaced. Ten years ago, however, the general manager of the gunner received an envelope with no return address. It was directed to the gunter, not the Sheraton gunner, and the zip code dated to 1965. Inside the envelope was an old room key, the one for 636, and was the kind used during that period. A bit of folklore to add to an already strange story? No one is quite certain, but many people have witnessed the murder replay in the years since then, as though the imprint of that devastating death had no choice but to reenact itself over and over. Staff and guests both have recorded paranormal phenomena. One guest even witnessed a ghostly woman who held her hands out and stared at the guest with a gaze that appeared almost soulless. When the San Antonio Paranormal Investigations, SAPI, conducted one of its many investigations at the gunner, one of its psychics was actually physically attacked by an unseen force. Is it possible that the ghosts of Walter Emmerich and his unknown victim are replaying the brutal murder in the afterlife? No one is really certain, but this can be said if you hope to stay in room 636. The hotel's most recent renovations split the room into two separate guest rooms now. Well, I think that's about all I have for this week. I will continue with the haunted hotels next time. I have more information. But I find it interesting that I worked at the Minger. It's got a history. I stayed at the Gunner. It's got a history. And there's more to come. Remember that on Mondays, you listen to Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast with Aaron Hunter. On Tuesdays, you listen to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. On Wednesdays, Terry's Mysterious Moments with me, Terry from Texas. And on occasional Thursdays, you listen to The Sandman Lullaby with Patrick Sean Jones. 
You can go to your app store, either on Apple or Android, and download the RPA app. You can find it because it's the one with the black background and the bright blue eye. You download that. You don't have to use any other kind of podcatcher because when you open it up, you're taken straight to the shows. I thank you for listening, and I wish you all a great week.